Morning. Welcome to Sierra Bible Church. If um, I haven't met you, my name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm part of our team. And um, we are in a series in the Gospel of John that we've been in for several months and we'll continue to do so for a few more months. If you don't have a Bible this morning, raise your hand. We'd love for you to borrow one of our Bibles. Just keep your hand up. One of the ushers will gladly hand you one and turn to John chapter 13. Uh, John chapter 13. And uh, <clears throat> not that there were, we are uh, anti-Bible uh, app, but if, but if you do have one, you know, please use it. But we do like people to actually feel the Bible in their hand and, and look at it and to have one. There's just something about, about it. We're reading an ancient text, and one day paper will be ancient. So a um, couple things I want to highlight. Typically, I do a, a ministry moment and a missions moment where I just kind of share some things to celebrate in regards to what we're doing as a church as a whole. One of them, um, since Michaela is here, she might be able to, uh, to um, elaborate just a little bit more. But she and Russ oversee our uh, ministry foster Sierras, which helps support families who are fostering and adopting children in the Truckee area. My wife was telling me this week that she, uh, she got really creative. My wife was very impressed that you walked into uh, the rec department this week and, and demanded free things from them for foster parents. And so list a couple of things. She had shared with me some of them, but list a couple of things that we're going to be receiving for families who are adopting and, and stuff for free. Um, right now we're connected with SWAT to speed for free for foster parents. That's worth a million dollars. I know. <laughs> That's good. Free facility use. I know we get to use the uh, birthday room a couple times a year for families. Yep. Yeah. For, for our uh, monthly support groups that we have the last Friday of the month, we've offered up the beach and pool and facilities. Come and enjoy. Yeah. Awesome. And then the funding has been provided renting some beds, adaptable strollers, and new tires for cars and things like that. If it's free, it's for me. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. So that's really neat. And then along those same lines, so that's our local involvement with uh, taking care of families and things like that. Um, internationally, you know, we uh, support Travis and Amber Owen in uh, Mexico. They, um, uh, they operate a ministry called So Ministries, Serving Orphans and Widows is what that stands for. And they are opening up a new or- orphanage. They're attempting to open up a new orphanage. And we had let you know they were trying to purchase the land. And I uh, just want to let you know those funds have come in. And they're in um, early negotiation process to purchase the land in Mexico to build their orphanage. Um, and in addition to that, we're sending a, a pre-team down um, in March to um, just help with some families down there and get their hands dirty to serve. And then that team is also going to be um, utilized to come back to us again. And then we're going to build up another team once they've purchased that property. And we've got uh, some plans to go down and help build and, and just really get the ball rolling. And if you remember... Travis said that the biggest hurdle really for finances was to purchase the property and that once that property was purchased, things would move pretty rapidly in regards to getting the thing up and running. Um, And so praise the Lord for that. I think that's pretty awesome that we get to be involved in those ways. Um, John chapter 13, if you will turn there. And as a little bit of a backdrop, if you remember in John 12 verses 44 through 50, uh, Jesus concludes his public ministry. That, that's the end of him being up front and, and, until he's on the cross. But as far as what is considered 
um, by theologians as his public ministry. That is the conclusion. That was last week. We concluded that. Jesus kind of gave his, his mission statement that he came to make God the Father known and that he came to give us his words, that those words would bring life. And now in chapter 13, Jesus uh, is going to spend the last 24 hours in, in a very intimate way with his disciples. And if it's pretty remarkable when you think we've gone 13 chapters into the Gospel of John and that John has been, been emphasizing the public ministry of Jesus, his miracles and, and what he has shared in public. But chapters 13 through 21 are dedicated to the last day of Jesus' life. And Jesus kicks off this intimate portion. John kicks it off in the writings of this portion as Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And so if you would stand with me as we honor God's word and we read verses 1 through 20 together, and then we'll dive in to the teaching this morning. Now, <clears throat> chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that, he was, that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said not all of you were clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, Truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor his messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So it's interesting how God kind of works things out in his providential plans. Um, but uh, my wife and I, we, 14 years ago, we were married, and we came up with a, a great plan, and that great plan was to get married two days after Christmas on December 27th. Um, which, I'm joking, by the way, that was not a good plan. Um, getting married right after Christmas is not uh, something that I would counsel any young person to do. And, and because of that now, for the last 14 years, our, 
our anniversary has gotten kind of just engulfed within the Christmas season and New Year's. And so we typically uh, don't really get to celebrate it the way that we would, we would like. And what we've tried to do over the last few years is we've tried to basically say, okay, well, we'll, we'll kind of high-five each other on December 27th. And then we'll have a more legitimate anniversary around, uh, it says April 28th on my clock back there. We need to fix that. Around January 27th. And I almost said April 27th because the, yeah, you're all looking now. Forget it. It's a total distraction. Um, this is what happens when you're teaching. Something distracts you and then everybody pays for it. So anyway, just, which was yesterday. So someone in the church said, hey, we want to watch your kids for you around that time. We'll do it. And so we had a babysitter plan to watch our kids so we could spend our anniversary doing some stuff yesterday. And um, I don't know if you know, but there's this disease that's been moving through Truckee. And everyone's been getting sick. And sure enough, our babysitter got sick. And she couldn't, <clears throat> she couldn't come. And so between Allie and I, we called probably like 10 or 15 different people. Can you watch our kids? Can you watch our kids? And then Joe and Amy Kraft, who help out in our, our coffee shop, and Amy does some counseling within the church for us and stuff, um, they came through and they watched our kids, which was super awesome. And so we went down to Reno, my wife and I, and, and did all the things that we used to do when we didn't have kids, like, you know, walk through the mall without anybody screaming. <laughs> and, um, and one of the things my wife said is, we're going to go get a pedicure together. And I didn't, you know, I didn't intend to have something happen to my feet yesterday and teach on feet today. But sure enough, you know, I go, I'm sitting there, and, and I have never had a pedicure. I have never had a desire to get a pedicure. It's not something that has even been remotely on my radar to get a pedicure. But yet we go into this, this place in the mall, and we sit down, and I'm taking in all of the, the sights and the smells that I, uh, unfamiliar territory for me. My wife, you can tell, totally feels at home. And so we, we, uh, we get into these chairs, and uh, I'm wearing skinny jeans, and she says, pull your jeans above your calves. I've got pretty large calves, and so that was a challenge in and of itself. I spent the first five minutes trying to hike my pants up to put it in a water basin that I am still not completely convinced was clean. And... Um, and as I lay back in the chair, the first thing that did put me at ease was, oh, this is a massage chair. I, I can deal with this. So I get in there, and I turn that thing on, you know, and I start getting massaged. And I uh, start looking around the room, and I notice that um, I don't really necessarily fit in. And uh, I actually looked to my wife in the beginning, and uh, she said, what's going on? And I said, one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> <clears throat> and... Um, and then this little petite lady who doesn't speak very good English comes up, and she won't even really look at me in the eye. She actually will only speak to Allie because I think she, she realized he doesn't know what he's doing. And she looked at him, and she looked at Allie, and, and she told her what we wanted done and stuff. And, and then, you know, I was a little kind of taken back because I, I, thought, I thought at the very least, you know, they were going to do it together. Like I was going to have... My gal, I was going to have her gal, and we're going to do this together so that the process, at least I felt like I was in some kind of shared suffering process with my wife. But instead, I ended up being the first one, which made me feel even more awkward. And, um, and then she pulls out these pliers, <laughs> and I thought, I don't think she has to do this for everybody. And I, all I could think about was, like, are my feet that much more jacked up than everybody else's feet? And, and then she starts, you know, grabbing my feet, and, and she has this cheese grater thing that both is painful and ticklish at the same time. And, and I'm, I'm in this, this, this seat, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I like this. 
And then it occurred to me, though, something occurred to me. I noticed that this gal, she'd been doing this for a long time. And her posture uh, was as such that, that exuded that. She was a little hunched over. She was quiet and she was humble. And I'd, I realized in that moment that, that this gal had probably, has probably spent most of her life being an, an unsung hero of sorts, uh, that, that people don't notice her. Uh, she goes from one customer to the other. She, she, when she asked for my feet, she wouldn't even verbalize it. She just would bow her head and put out her hands. And, and I, I thought to myself, I, don't, I almost felt like I was demeaning her. And, it, it, and here I am trying to feel pampered, and yet I felt like I was taking advantage of somebody. And thinking to myself, to a degree, as I was putting this all together, like, man, this is what Jesus did for his disciples. An act of, of service, an act of humility, and as Scripture says in here in this passage, an act of deep love. And that process, as uncomfortable as it felt, allowed me to contrast one other time, one other time that I had actually had my feet clean cleaned and um no i clean them every week let's be careful here and uh it it was years ago when i was in a a school of ministry and in the school of ministry as a student um we used to do these trips they were called wilderness trips to death valley and they're about a week long and we would do a 30 mile loop in death valley in spring which was one of the only seasons you could do it in because of the conditions of death valley and what you hiked in you had to hike out and it was a very rough um arduous uh hike and there were several people on the trip who could physically handle the trip, and there were other people on the trip who, who had never even hiked before. And the idea was to do this on purpose, that those who were stronger would serve the weaker. And nonetheless, at the end of the trip, everybody was sore, and everybody was aching, and everybody was hurting. And at the end of that trip, I remember, we came out of the, the loop after several days of hiking, sweaty, not smelling well. And there was alumni from the school waiting for us near the cars, all with water basins, soap, and washcloth, and they washed every student's feet. They washed their feet after that hike. And I remember in that process, it was, it was much more emotional because for them, it, it wasn't an act of, 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 hey, you're paying me to do this. It was an act of service and an act of, of true love, a, a camaraderie as well, that, that they had done the hike and they had had their feet washed, and so tradition year after year just kind of created this environment of, I know what you went through, I know what God did with you on this trip, and, and we're washing your feet. And we're seeing Jesus do this, and it tells us that he did this, as, in a sense, as an act of love, and that he had loved his disciples till the end. I want to share, um, I accidentally put a slide in from last week, um, some realities of his love. First of all, in, in verse 1, it tells us that he loved them till the end. That Jesus had a, a, a type of passion for his disciples that began somewhere, and it tells us in Ephesians, before the foundation of the world, and that that love will never end. As the great hymn reads, Loved with an everlasting love, led by grace that love to know, gracious spirit from above, thou hast taught me it is so. O oh, this full and perfect peace, O oh, this transport all divine, and a love which cannot cease, I am his and he is mine. An everlasting love from God and from God the Father. The the reality that Jesus was utterly committed to this mission with his disciples. He's entering the last day of his life, and what he's sharing with his disciples, what John is sharing with us, is that he he, he is fully 
set to go to the cross and die for his disciples as an act of love. Number two, we're also told in the rest of the Bible in regards to this love, the realities of Jesus' love, that his love surpasses all knowledge. Ephesians chapter 3. That Jesus loves us in a way that doesn't really totally make sense. One pastor says it this way, Jesus is about to ascend to the heights by descending to the depths. Jesus Christ is about to pull off the greatest victory by being captured and tortured and oppressed and murdered. Jesus' understanding of power and success is so completely topsy-turvy that there is not a single culture or ideology that can really understand or accept it. It cuts against everything that we know. Jesus shows us that his love is a love that, that goes back to the heart of service and loving people. That it's not about reigning high and supreme, but it's about going after that which quite possibly is seen as unclean. Right, the washing of feet, even in Jesus' day, this wasn't, this wasn't some kind of common practice that anyone did. This was actually, according to Jewish custom, it was reserved for slaves. It was reserved not only for slaves, but it was definitely reserved. You, if you're a Jew, you don't do this. This is for Gentiles only. Gentiles wash feet. And it most certainly was not something that the host was going to do. So when Jesus bends down and he, he, he's putting himself in this humble task, he's showing them that the, the way you lift people up, the way you change culture, the way that you move hearts, this is how you do it. And the reason this is important is because even, even maybe not necessarily in our church or in our community, but there are large swaths in our Christian community that, that believe that the way to actually take power over, the way, the way that we change culture is to put people in positions of power. Right? There is people who believe that, that their job as a Christian is to usher in the kingdom by putting the right people in power to influence the rest of culture. And what Jesus teaches us is it has nothing to do with who's in power. It has to do with the Christian serving the menial person. But as crazy as it sounds, that lady who washed my feet has more ability within her power, within gospel power, to change the world than the President of the United States. And if you don't believe that, you don't understand the topsy-turviness of God's love. Because Jesus is saying the way you change culture isn't through power, but you change it by serving. Or you want to change the world? Clean a toilet. I had a college student a couple weeks ago when I was speaking. He said, I'm a college student. I'm studying. How, 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 do, I, how do I give God glory while I'm in school? I said, good Good grades. Do the best job you can. I don't know if anyone's like me, but you know one of the ways I give God glory is when it snows, my driveway is clean. I want to see blacktop. My wife knows how anal I am about this. When she got up the other morning after it snowed, she went to go pray with Amber Finch, and, and she, she came home, and, and she said, I just want you to know I left early in the morning, and before I left, I shoveled out the area behind where my tires were. You don't drive on snow in the driveway. You know, and it's a little source of self-righteousness for me because when I'm driving down the, the road to Sierra Meadows, I look at other driveways and go, lazy. <laughs> right? you, th my point in that isn't to uh, let you know how to plow your driveway, but for God's sake, please, like just, I'm just um, do, do the, the little thing matters is what I'm trying to say. And Jesus says it this way, if you're faithful with little things, you'll be faithful with much. The problem is too much of us want the big thing first. Give me the big thing. Give me the attractive ministry. Give me the attractive thing to do. 
You know, Jesus is teaching us, he's saying, he's saying, listen, listen, if you go down to the feet, you go down low, you're going to be lifted on high. If you, if you want to become the, the best, you've got to become the least. Even John the Baptist knew that. Let me decrease that he may increase. We live in a culture that is, that is all about you. Most of us have cars that have more televisions in the car than most of the world has in their home. Entertain me. I've come across students that I've known. I look at their Instagram posts, and I, I actually looked at a gal's uh, Instagram post that, that I, I knew from a w- little while back and just to see how she was doing. And literally, she had probably 200 pictures on her Instagram, and all 200 had her in the photo. Because we live in a culture that is, is promote yourself. And Jesus is saying it's not about promoting yourself. It's about serving other people. It's about going down low. Jesus wants to take the dirty feet, the dirty people of the world, and turn them into something amazing. Our brand new children's director and his wife, Joe Casey. Joe Casey got saved at Sierra Bible Church. He's an ex-drug addict. God worked amazing things in his life. And now he's teaching children Jesus. See, Jesus wants to take the person that you overlook, the person that you don't see, the person that that is overseen, that that you look at and and don't ever think anything about. And he wants to invest in them and love on them and turn them into world changers. I'm telling you, I didn't necessarily share this with my wife, but as I sat in that seat, I prayed for that lady. Because that's the kind of lady that God wants to use to make the world a great place, to usher in the kingdom. The person who bags your groceries. The person who's at the, the bank just giving you money. The people that you never give a second thought to. You know, one of the things that I've told people as I've trained them in leadership, you want leaders, you want people to serve, find somebody that's not serving. Find somebody that doesn't look like they should serve. Go up to them and ask them, do you want to be one of my leaders? See, the key to good leadership is to see something in somebody else that nobody but God and maybe you see and be willing to invest in them to pull it out. It breaks my heart when someone says, I've got nothing to give God. What? You got energy, you got feet, you can breathe, you can see. If you don't think you can do something for the Lord, let me give you something you can do for God, but don't be surprised if it happens to be something menial. Ministry starts low. Starts really low. That's number two, is love surpasses knowledge. It's backwards. It's not what you think it is. Number three, we can't be separated from his love. Not tribulation, not distress, not death, not famine, not peril. Romans chapter 8. Number four, it's rooted in service and humility. One pastor says it this way in this regard. The Bible nowhere says that you should be trying to search for God. In Job 11, it says, can you by searching find out the Almighty? No. People think that the reason we can't find God is because he's too distant and too high, but that's not true. The Bible says that the reason you can't find God is because he's too close and he's too low. He's at your feet and he's in your face. Is God someone who hides on the top of the mountain so that you can find him by cunning and bravery like Indiana Jones? So maybe you can come before his feet? No, the Bible says Jesus Christ has come right up into your face. He's at your feet. He has died for you and he's saying, now would you give yourself to me as I have given myself to you? See, the reason culture doesn't see Jesus is because they don't look for him in all the small stuff. But he's there. 
All it takes is one visit to the hospital. Sometimes my wife and I on occasion will go there to eat lunch because we can afford it. And it's actually pretty good. They do. They have the best cheeseburgers in Truckee, California. Don't tell Burger Me. <laughs> you go to the hospital, you can see it in the nurses. You can see it in the, the staff that's serving you food. You can, you can see it in the people in the hospital beds. You walk through the hospital, especially through ICU, and, or, or you walk through where those are being cared for while they're healing, and, and you walk by those beds and you can see just people. And God is in those moments. And we miss it. If life is boring, it's because you're not looking for God in all the teeny stuff. And this is what Jesus is saying, is I'm, I'm found in the teeny stuff. Jesus says, I confound the world uh, by, by using the foolish things of the world, the little things of the world. There is absolutely no reason I should be standing before you as a pastor. No way. I'd be a way better prison guard, trust me. But God says, it's not about the person. It's about my spirit. And my spirit likes to take the things that nobody looks at, nobody pays attention to, the things that, that everyone oversees, and he changes them. The encouragement here is to see the love of Christ in all of these small moments. The other thing that's really cool about this passage here is not just the rooted in the, the humility, but, but this is my number five point of, of this section is his, his love in this moment is life-giving, soul-cleansing. It's, it's embedded in the gospel. And what I've written before you is, is a picture of what exists within here in regards to the gospel from, from this passage in verses 4 through 5. Jesus rose from supper just as he will rise on the cross and laid aside his garments, the garments of the rabbinical robe, the, the stuff that showed he was a teacher. He laid that aside giving us a picture that will be separated from God. He took a towel and he girded upon, him, he girded upon himself, taking our sin. That, that towel was the towel of a servant. And he clothed himself with that towel. And after that, he poured out water, a picture of shedding his blood into the basin, his blood into earthen vessels, and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wash them with the towel, just as he will cleanse us from sin. See, there's a picture here, there's an image here that, that not only is Jesus showing us his love and his service, he's pointing towards the greatest act of love and the greatest act of service, which is he will die on the cross for our sins. I mean, as I've been going through this book, starting in chapter 13, in all honesty, there's a part of me, there's a part of me that is simply asking the question, can I get through the rest of this book with you? Emotionally. Because this is the kind of thing that it just starts getting heavier and heavier from here. But in regards to the realities of his love, uh, I would argue and say that, the, that one of man's greatest needs, if not man's greatest need, is to be fully known and to be fully loved. In fact, Tim Keller, one of my favorites, he says it this way, to be loved but not known, to be loved but not really known, is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Right? My wife loves me, but the real question, does she really know me? Be careful here. 
No, like, like no one in this room, not even your spouse, not your kids, not the person who knows you, nobody knows your deepest, darkest thoughts, the darkest moments of your lives, the mistakes that you made and, and what they were like, what you felt, the shame that maybe you felt from those things, the guilt. Nobody fully knows those things but you and God alone. And the difference between you and, and your feeling of yourself and what someone else may feel about you is God knows those thoughts he knows exactly what you've thought. He knows exactly what you have done. He knows you well, and he still loves you anyway. He loves you in spite of you. That's man's need. A God that will love them in spite of them and fully knowing that you're not clean. You're not totally clean. And that's the reality of his love. It's... it's it's deep. There's a magnitude to it. This is, this is an amazing kind of love. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound, right? That's what this is. Jesus bestows upon himself this humility. He, he bows down and he, he, he washes the disciples' feet in an act of service and love. And then, by contrast, we have Judas and Peter. Judas outright rejects this love. And notice something here that the same love that drew the disciples in is the same love that caused Judas to reject Jesus. As it's been said in regards to the same sun that melts the ice also hardens the clay. Some people, no matter what you tell them about God's love, what you tell them about the acceptance of God's love, they will not accept it. And what Judas does is he meets the greatest act of love with the greatest injury, and yet Jesus still washed his feet. Jesus still washed his enemy's feet. And this is, again, a picture for us that, that we would do the same, the same kind of love of Jesus, that, that we wouldn't be like G Judas. Judas, right, he's, he's greedy, he's ambitious, he's selfish, he's self-focused, he's manipulative, he's lying right out in the open, and he's definitely influenced by Satan himself. That's the rejection of Judas. But then you have, you have Peter. Whoa, whoa, Jesus, you're... You're too good to do this. You can't wash my feet. You're, you're the rabbi. You can't do this. And Je Jesus, says, Jesus says, what I do right now, you don't understand, but you will afterwards. Take note of this. Much of the Christian faith is just that statement. What I do, not, what I do now, you do not fully understand, but later you will. Just recognize that Jesus is going to take you in a life of faith. You're not going to always understand what Jesus is doing. And it's not for you to understand right now, but one day you will. And then Peter's response, okay, well then give me a bath. <laughs> Bathe all of me. And then Jesus has this remarkable statement. You, you don't need a bath. You're already clean. The only thing that needs cleaning is your feet. And what Jesus is basically saying to Peter and we'll elaborate on this in a little bit more in a moment. But what Jesus, Jesus is saying to Peter is, Peter, in order for you to, to be a part of me, you have to allow me to take on your dishonor and your shame. You have to let me take the place that you belong. You belong washing my feet. And there's a contrast here. Jesus has, has not that long ago just had his feet washed. You remember, Mary anoints his feet with the the costly spike nerd, and, and there's a contrast in this. Jesus' feet don't need cleansing because he is pure and he is beautiful. And, and now here, here are his disciples. They need cleaning from the one who is clean. What Jesus is saying to Peter is, is, is 
if you really want to be a part of me, you have to let me take on the place that you belong. You have to humble yourself by allowing me to humble myself to serve you. Let me take your place. Let me take your place. You deserve the cross. Let me take your place. You deserve the whipping. Let me take your place. Brad had a verse up front that, that said the word propitiation. That word literally means wrath-bearing sacrifice. That Jesus would take your wrath, your shame, your guilt, all of the things that you've ever done wrong, for he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we would become the righteousness of God. This is the deep love and service of Jesus. So what about our response to this radical reality of his love and service? And what do we respond? How do we respond to this? How, how, can you, how can you read a passage like this and not simply ask the question, well, what is my response in faith to Jesus? If, if Jesus is the only God who has claimed to be a, a 100% man and 100% God who has claimed to die in our place, who has come to serve us and to, to take our place, to be the propitiation for our sins, then what is that response? Well, there's a few responses here. I got, I got two on the screen and one more I'll add. Number one, is first response, the first response is keep washing your feet. Verse 10, you're already clean. You're already clean. Peter, you're already clean because of the words I have spoken to you, but your feet aren't. You know, in Jesus' day, I think feet look nastier than they do today. They wore sandals. They walked everywhere. There was no vehicles. Their feet were gnarly, very gnarly. You had to clean your feet. What's the picture? The picture is daily cleansing and repenting of sin. You see, you're already clean, but you still need to check in with Jesus every day. It's like I tell my kids every day. Jonah, Peyton, Jolie, have you brushed your teeth? Jolie says, this is what she does. My wife yesterday, she said, okay. So you brush your teeth? Again, her response. She's trying to show how shiny they are. And my wife said last night, she said, okay, well, well I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to feel your toothbrush. And if it's not wet, I know you're lying. She goes, You know, brush your teeth. Uh, you, you need to brush your teeth every day. One pastor says, I know this is small, forgive me, but it's incredibly difficult to make these slides every week in time. When a person believes in Jesus, he is completely cleansed. He is clean before God. And Jesus says in verse 10, the one who has bathed, that's your faith in Christ, does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. The repeated washing of the feet represents our daily confession of sin and turning to Jesus for ongoing application of what he accomplished at the cross, our cleansing and forgiveness. Representatives of Jesus know their true, unshakable standing with God as completely clean. And they don't claim that they have no sin, but they know how to deal with their ongoing sin. They confess their sin and receive daily cleansing. When Jesus offers to wash their feet, they say yes. I know I am clean, I am born again, I am saved, I am justified, I have eternal life, I am a child of God. But I have sinned and I received the foot washing, the renewed cleansing of Jesus. Whereas A.W. Pink says, we need to get alone with our Lord each day 
opening our hearts to the light as the flower does its petals to the sun. We need to come afresh into the presence of Christ in order to learn what things really are, surrendering ourselves to his judgment in everything and submitting to his purging word. Let me ask you, church, how many times this week did you wash your feet? Jesus encouraging a daily washing, a, a, daily, a daily time where you come before the Lord and you say, I'm in need of you, God. Lord, I, I've got these people that I work with, and, and man, they're, they're difficult. Would you, would you be with me today? Do you just get up in the morning and meditate and say, Jesus, I, I need your grace, because if you don't give me grace, I'm going to punch this dude at work. Lord, I, I'm struggling with this person. It may go deeper. It may even be, Lord, you, you know at my, how I feel towards my wife today or how I feel towards my husband this week. And, and Lord, I need your grace that I would wash their feet and that I would forgive them of their sin and I would extend grace beyond grace and forgive 70 times 7. Like, Lord, strengthen me in my marriage. And if you're like me and you have four young children, you say, Lord, help me parent well. Lord, would you show me my difficulty? And my wife has been praying this along. With me as well, it's both been a huge desire of ours. Teach me to parent where the gospel of grace is the motivator for good behavior and not punishment. Let my kids see grace as a great gift, not something to be taken advantage of, but it's something that they can get from Jesus. Teach me to parent well, Lord. Lord, wash my feet. And sometimes that's at the beginning of the day, and then at the end of the day, you just got to go, I feel dirty. Cleanse me, Lord. Remind me of my position in you, that I, that I am righteous and that I am justified and that I am not identified by how I have failed this day. Because the Lord knows I have failed this day. Wash your feet. Spend time with Jesus. Take a moment, if not several, during the day to just cry out, Lord, I need you. I need you. Secondly, not only do you wash your own feet, but Jesus says he's given us an example to follow. Wash others' feet. Wash your feet. But church, when was the last time you washed someone else's feet? Now, I don't mean literally, but if I just did ask that question, if I said, you know, we're going to try something this morning. Just check underneath your chair. There's a water basin there. Turn to your neighbor that's not your spouse and say, I'm going to wash your feet. Many of you in the room might simply go, I'm not doing it. I know a girl was in my youth group. She hated feet. And knowing you go on these youth trips like we did, going around the beach, stuff, people were barefoot and dirty. No one's really bathing or showering like they should. And I used to just kind of stick it over in her face like this. And she'd be like, oh, run away. Right? Feet, the feet are like the, the one part of the body. You're definitely like, keep that covered. Put it in a shoe. Right? No one's against you, Brad, because you wear sandals because it's irreverent. They just want you to cover up your giant feet. <laughs> the, but the reality is, is, is Jesus says the way up is, I think I have it in a quote here. No. The way up is down. The way to power is to serve. The way to get happiness is to not seek your own happiness, but the happiness of somebody else. An inside-out understanding of greatness. Life is about kneeling love. You know, the world is not happy because the world is constantly trying to serve itself. 
You have people in the guise of social justice who say, well, I'm, I'm serving people. No, you're not. You're doing it because you feel guilty, and you're doing it because you're trying to earn something. The real way of service is, I'm doing this as an act of love. I love you, and I don't want anything in return. Right? Jesus washed Judas's feet. What he got in return was what? Betrayal. It's not about what you get and what you don't get. It's about serving. And, and you know what's really interesting about that? Jesus says, hey, if you love the people that are nice to you, that's really great and all, but even the world does that. Love your enemy. Yeah, you know the person in your mind right now you're thinking about that you don't like? Wash their feet. And then you get the gospel. That's the gospel. Because Jesus didn't wash the feet of those who were righteous. The Bible is really clear. He washed the feet of his enemies. You were at one time an enemy of God. And he made you clean, making you a friend. The key is to take an enemy and turn him into a friend. Whew. Used to say that about Abraham Lincoln. For Abraham Lincoln had a way of taking his criti- those who were highly critical of him, those who criticized him, and he would spend time with them and he would dialogue with them and he would turn them into advocates. Be nice to have a guy like that around, huh? In spite of what Jesus was facing, in spite of what the people were thinking about him, in spite of his own needs, in spite of his own comforts, in spite of his own luxuries, Jesus is absorbed in serving his disciples. There is, and I hear it all the time, you want to help serve in this area? I can, I got this going on. You want to help here? You want to do this? You want, I got this, I got, excuse, 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 excuse. The key is to serve in spite of the excuses. Every excuse in reality isn't an excuse to remove you. It's, it's an opportunity to overcome, to, to watch God do something incredible because after all, it's worth it. It is worth it. And Jesus shows us that. In fact, as we close with this, he says, and look at verse 17. If you know these things, if you know them, that's not enough. Many of you know them. Many of you know these things. This isn't the first time you've heard a pastor preach on the washing of feet and the serving of souls and the worshiping of God. This is not your first rodeo. And I know it because I see a lot of you here every week, and that's not the first time I've said it. It's not the first time Wayne has said it. If you know these things, and then the caveat is what? You'll be blessed what? You'll be blessed. Some of you should have a big old highlighter or pen. This is why an iPhone or a tablet does not suffice. And you take a big old marker and you circle the word if. And then you underline blessed. You know them. Blessed are you if you do them. You know what Jesus is saying? I'm encouraging you to wash your feet and to wash other people's feet for the sake of your joy. You want to smile more? You want to laugh more? At the end of the day, do you want more peace? Wash somebody's feet. Are you with me? All right, we got some water basins out back. I'm just kidding. It's an encouragement. 
And as I pray for us and as we sing and respond to God, it's encouragement for me too. Because you know what's going to happen at the end of my day today? I'm going to go home exhausted from preaching. And I'm going to have four little souls begging for daddy's attention. And all I really want to do is lay on the couch and take a nap while I wash their feet. Allie, you plug your ears for that part just in case. There'll be a moment where you'll be confronted with your own self-comfort, won't there? Ever had any of those moments, Ben? Running a business and taking care of four kids yourself? Probably never, huh? We're going to be challenged this week, don't you think? I believe, I told first service, I do believe this. I don't know how it will play out. I'm not pretending to prophesy, but I do think that God wants us, I really do. I think that God wants us to have a greater influence in Truckee and internationally. And it's going to require us as a church to have a greater heart of service. It, it may call my, my team, the staff, and our volunteers and other people to think differently. To change the way that we do things so that we can reach the people that, that no one's looking at. And if you're that person, if you're here this morning and you feel like no one's like, if you feel like, well, I'm that person. No one's, I'm just, I'm in the service industry. I'm, I'm punching passes on the hill. And man, just know that you're not overlooked by Jesus. And then when you go do those things, like I told first service, I said, you know one way do you give glory to God with the, like when you, just, just practice this sometime. When you walk out of the store, you walk out of the bank and there's someone behind you, do this thing, it's called open the door for somebody else. And then when you do it, don't do this. Do this. And every now and then, because this happens to me, because I do do that sometimes, I open it, and, they, and the person will just be like. And you think to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Play that Moana song. <laughs> You're welcome. Right. Let's pray. Lord, um, help us to see to see, Lord, this love you have for us, that it is extraordinary and it is ex extraordinarily backwards to what we think or imagine would change lives and change the world. And may we, Lord, be given supernatural eyes to see that the way to change the world is not through great and large endeavors, but doing the small, important things first. That we would not overlook the souls that take care of our needs, but that we would see them as uniquely made in the image of God. And may that weigh on us in such a way that we would serve them in hopes to see some come to the saving knowledge of you. Encourage us, Lord, to do more for your sake as an act of worship for your glory and not for our own self-comfort. Continue to have grace upon us and we trust you for these things, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.